There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Classic rock band Cheap Trick opens for Rod Stewart tonight at the historic Meriwether Post Pavilion in Columbia, Maryland. I spoke to founding bass player Tom Peterson in 2015 when the band rocked the Fillmore in Silver Spring, breaking down their biggest hits from Surrender to I Want You to Want Me, as well as his recent charitable work in music therapy. Tom, thanks so much for taking the time. Great, it's my pleasure. When was the last time you swung through the DC area, Jason? I don't remember. We're kind of we're we're, in a, we're kind of. It seems like we're everywhere all the time. We you know we do work a lot, so I don't really remember. We we're in the DC area a lot, so. Yeah, I'm sure it all. I'm sure it all runs together after a while. At least once a year. But um, you guys are originally from uh, Illinois, right? Yes, outside of Chicago, all four of us. Right, and didn't they recently? Um, didn't the state make April Fool's Day cheap trick day recently? Uh, yeah, a few years ago, it was, uh, yeah, now it, it officially is April Fool's Day, so people don't know if that's actually an April Fool's joke or if it's really true, but either way, it's fine. Let's just keep the, the legend going. I, well, it's a, it is true, but I thought maybe it was just for the, you know, the one time, but it yeah. seems to be permanent until they vote it down, I suppose. Well, I love it. Um, are we, uh, when, when people come, come see the, your show here at the Fillmore, and and when you play all your shows these days, um, do you find that you get multiple generations coming out? I mean, is it people that that loved your music back in the '70s and '80s, and then passed it on with, to their kids who who loved your music too, and even your new stuff now? Yes, we do, and it's it's really it it, it seems strange, but there really are a lot of young people who know quite a bit about us. You'll see people out there that are you know. Obviously, this is before their time, the music, and they'll be singing along to all these deep cuts and first <laughs> album tracks and things, and it's, it's fantastic. You know, it's, it's the type of music that we do that we liked when we were that age and we were growing up, and it's just stayed with us. Yeah. It's fantastic. What are some, what are some of those deep cuts that they respond to? Well, we'll do all sorts of things. You know, I mean, most people don't know all of our material, of course, right. so it's, uh, you know, We'll do stuff like off the first album, second album, you know, yeah. Heaven Tonight, uh, right. just tracks that weren't big radio hits or anything. We do a lot of that stuff. Awesome. So the the diehard hardcore fans get the show, get a great show then too. Um, yeah, you, you know, you kind of can't win in in a way. Some people who don't, <laughs> you know, who maybe never seen you or only seen you once or only like one song, and it's you know, the Flame or something, and you don't happen to do it, they get really upset. And then the people that are diehards. Right don't care about hearing that stuff so right. it's a, you try to do a balance yeah well you just you know basically we just really do what we what we feel like doing right ourselves right. you know it's not really much we can you, you kind of can't win in a way but you know it's our audiences are really good you know and uh we, we've seen a lot of the fans we've seen for a long long time it's really it, it's exciting 
Yeah, I mean, uh, we talked about the cross generational stuff. Do you think it's do you think it's partially because the songs kind of speak to, you know, that those those feelings that are kind of universal? I mean, you know, mommy's all right, daddy's all right. It just seemed a little weird. I mean, everyone can relate to that, no matter where what era they grew up in. Yeah, I think so. You know, it's like the Beatles or whatever, or the Stones and the Kinks, and you know, these songs you could relate to it in some way, and it's. It's melodic, and you know, you know, the Who or whatever. It's, it's melodic, and it's heavy, and it's exciting. And again, it's the stuff that we grew up with, and it really, it made sense to us. And it's still, it's like, yeah, I see why people like this stuff. We, I still like it. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you take me back? Um, the band really blew up in terms of at least the radio around the '77. I think was I want you to. Want yeah, to well, we came out. Our first first two albums came out in '77. Right. And in 78, our third album came out, and then we did, um, at Budokan, we recorded our fourth album, which was Dream Police. Right, right, yeah. But then, in the meantime, the Budokan album came out, which is a live album, basically kind of the, you know, the, the best of the first three albums for the Japanese market. I got you. Yeah, Dan, and then, you guys were huge in Japan. And then we got lucky with that one, so that was 78. You guys were huge in Japan, too, right? Didn't they call you, like, the American Beatles? Well, I don't know who called us that, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if they did or not, but it was, uh, you know, we were big in Japan, but there were, you know, there were a lot of groups that were doing well in Japan, yeah. Queen and Kiss and, yeah. you know, all sorts of different acts. All the big bands, yeah. And it, what, did, what did help was we had toured, well, we did a, a big tour with Kiss in 77. We did, uh, we did several shows with Queen before that. And because of their popularity in Japan, they had a lot of the Japanese press was following them around. And uh-huh. then, you know, there we were, and they wrote about us, and one thing led to another, and all of a sudden we're out of the blue getting all this fan mail from Japan. It's like, wow, what is going on here? <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. it was, uh, it, we got lucky with that. Right, for sure. Um, tell me about, in case some of our listeners don't know, tell me about how you guys formed originally. Well, uh, let's see. We, uh, our guitarist Rick and I have been working together since uh, 1968. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we were we all went to the the three three of us went to the same high school, but we all grew up in the same hometown. Anyway, we were kind of back and forth in different groups and stuff. And by 1974, we had the, the four of us. We had Robin and I and Rick and Bunny, our drummer, and uh, we just were playing clubs and any place we could play we just played all the time yeah and we just kept going and kept going and eventually in 76 we got a record deal recorded our first album and it came out in 77 and we just have never stopped yeah. and that that one the first one was the self-titled one um correct was where did you guys come up with that title of cheap the self-titled <laughs> no, no i mean the the band name though oh, oh. um <laughs> that would have been a good smart-ass remark by me to say, yeah, hey, how'd you come up with the self-title not? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know who thought of that. Yeah, where um, did that come from? No, I mean, well, uh, how, how did you guys come up with the name for the band? Well, actually, Rick and I were in were living in Philadelphia, and we went to see in, in 1971, or 72, we were working together in a band, and we um, went to see the group Slade. Mm-hmm. You remember Slade? Yeah, they, yeah. they were one of the first glam rock groups, English groups group and anyway they were doing everything they had you know glitter shoes and glitter on their teeth and they were doing they had, they had bombs going off they had it all going on and i turned to rick and i go wow i love these guys but god they just they just got they're using every cheap trick in the book uh. and he goes 
oh, he goes, that'd be a great band name. Like, so then eventually that's what happened. So it was something you said. I said it, but it was, you know, teamwork. <laughs> yeah. he, he, I didn't think of it as a band name. I just said it as a, right. you know, kind of a common phrase. Like, yeah, these guys are using every cheap trick in the book. And he goes, oh, cheap trick, that'd be a cool band name. Oh, and the really? Re- the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. So not much of a story, but that's hey, what happens. I, I love it. Hey, I, I'm always curious where you guys get, where all the bands get their names from, for sure. Yeah. Um, what was it like and, then? And there's never, there never is a good story, right? Well, sometimes. Sometimes it is, you know. The Rolling Stones or whatever. Yeah. They were Brian Jones was talking on the telephone to a promoter or something before. They, they were so new they didn't have a name, and he he just had a, an album sitting there with you know Rolling Stone on the. It said something about Rolling Stone. Right. He just what's the name of the band? Uh, the Rolling mm-hmm. Stones. He looked down. He just off the top of his head said it. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, band names are that. It's a whole other awesome conversation. Yeah. It's 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 another conversation. It's not easy to do. Nothing ever sounds good. Yeah. It's like trying to name, you know, like your kids' names. Or, yeah. It's, it, it's really, it, it always feels like all the good ones are already taken. <laughs> uh, yeah, and a lot of them are naughty, you know, Steely Dan. And, a lot of, and, <laughs> and, the, and certainly not all the bad ones are taken. They're really, they're all out there. Exactly. Well, I mean, we mentioned, uh, you know, how you you kind of formed and, um, and, uh, and how you got the name and, and the, the first self-titled album and all that stuff. Um, soon after that, when you guys really blew up, what do you remember the first song of yours you actually heard, like if you were driving around in the car and heard it on the radio and kind of had that surreal moment that, wow, we're being, you know, broadcast to how many people right now? Well, uh, we did, but it was not quite that romantic of a story. (laughs) Uh, Rick and I were, we were in, we were playing in Ottawa, Canada or somewhere. I don't know where, we're somewhere in Canada anyway, doesn't matter. Yeah. And we were walking down the street, and we were just walking past, uh, not going into, we were walking past a, a strip club, and we heard one of our songs off of our, we only had one album out, and nobody even knew who we were, and we heard one of our songs being played. We are like, what the heck? And we went in, <laughs> and one of the girls was dancing to one of our, she knew our group, she liked our group, and she was dancing to one of our songs. We were like, we were so impressed, like, wow, we, <laughs> we hit the big time. Do you remember her name? Was it Candy? <laughs> Her name wasn't Candy. It wasn't no, Oh Candy. That wasn't name. the song. No, All right. no, it wasn't Candy. It was. Right. I don't, that's a good question. I don't remember what song it was. It was Tax Man or something. But anyway, it was oh, something okay. that it was obscure. No matter what song it was, because no one, you know, that album was not successful, and we were just really starting out, and it right. just struck us funny. Like, wow, <laughs> you really hit the big time here. That is a great. Hey, well, yeah, when your when your music being played in the strip club, you know you've made it. <laughs> I don't know if that helps or not. It well, it, it helped. We it drew us into the club. We weren't going to go in there normally. We were on, I don't know where we were going, but yeah. after that, man, everybody was playing cheap trick songs just to get you to come in. Well, <laughs> I guess maybe I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that's great. I, um, I could probably come up with a better story than that. No, that's, are you kidding me? That's fantastic. <laughs> um, how about after that though? Do you remember when the Aside from the strip club, do you remember the first time you you know you you heard it being played elsewhere? Yeah, um, yes, I remember. In a more mainstream just, setting, let's say. Well, okay, we really uh, were not. We our first three albums really did not sell well. Wow. You know, we were you know struggling. They sold you know one sold better than the next, but we were you know an underground kind of a cult yeah. act, and, and that was the point. 
it was not successful in that way. You know, we weren't making any money or anything, and you know, we were you know, losing money and just trying to get by. And we played at, I think, Santa Monica Civic in, uh, in, in, you know, in California. I, I think it was on New Year's Eve. And we got in the car after the show, and at the stroke of 12, on the radio station K-Rock, Rodney Bingenheimer. Do you know the disc jockey, Rodney? What, what city is this, you said? In, in California, in Los Angeles. Oh, we were nice. in Santa Monica. Sure. But anyway, there was a big radio station. It still is. Okay, K-Rock. K-Rock. And Rodney Bingenheimer was like the top kind of an underground DJ, and he had his own show. And at the stroke of midnight, he put on the first song of that year was um, one of our songs, Top of the World. Wow. We're like, wow, thanks. And he was... He had been a big supporter of ours. You know, he, he came in every time we played in L.A. at the Whiskey or whatever. We were trying to, you know, get something going, and nothing ever really worked. And he was a really big supporter of ours and loved our band. And we were like, wow, we were, you know, so thankful that some, somebody liked it. <laughs> then he played that. It was like, wow, that was, that was, we were just so shocked. It was like, wow, this is so great. <laughs> What what is that relationship like with the bands that are trying to just start out between the bands and the uh, rock radio stations? What is that like trying to get a demo to them or just to get played back then? Because rock radio was a very different world back then than it is today, too. Well, you couldn't get a demo to anybody. That I don't think that ever worked. Okay. To, you know, it was hard enough to get a you know a released major record. For them to play it, you know, mm-hmm. you know, all the people sure. coming in. Oh, listen to this! This is the greatest! This is the greatest! No, everything's yeah. the greatest. So, <laughs> we in those days, you could, if you were playing somewhere and you strike a relationship with a disc jockey or so they like your stuff, they could play your songs and you could get regional hits. You could, you know, for example, we got really big in Buffalo, New York. Of all things, we mm-hmm. were not doing anything anywhere. We were doing a few different places. We start we got you know, we did really well in, in, in Los Angeles and we did uh then you know out of the blue, say Buffalo, New York. And it really had a lot to do with your a lot of times your college rep. If they were really good, you know, rep and running around trying to push your record, mm-hmm. they'd feel, Oh wow, that's really great and they would you know had, they would have a good relationship with the DJs. It wasn't necessarily us that had the relationship. It's your guy from the record label, and uh, one of our college reps, his name was John Sykes, who became a huge success later in the business. He was great in Buffalo, and he sold it gotcha. in Buffalo. We were selling out theaters and stuff. We were doing great, and then we, you know, go some other, go back to uh, you know somewhere in Iowa or something. He'd have ten people in some little dump. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So you could do, you could build it up that way. These days, I don't know, you know, and, right. you know there, it's. It's hard to say. I mean, people had, there was payola and all that kind of stuff, but, sure. you know, you'd have to have a label behind you dumping all sorts of money in, and, it's, you know, that doesn't necessarily work. And right. There's no God game. knows, yeah. you know, so really we kind of stayed out of that, and we just kind of do what we do and try to make as good of albums as we can and see what happens. The rest take care of itself. Um, yeah, but, but I don't know that really a lot of stations just have the freedom just to play whatever they want. Sure. Yeah. Well, we we here at WTOP are a all news station, so I was just curious about how sort of the, the rock game worked, especially back then. Yeah, it's it, you know it's it, it's it's hard to figure. There's no formula. There's ever you know there's no there's no easy way. There wasn't you know you couldn't just pay somebody to play it. If people don't maybe you could get pay and get the thing played, sure. but 
if people didn't like it, they wouldn't continue. For sure. You had to, it was all about the music, so, really, in the end. It was, yeah. a, it was a combination of things, and luck, too. And then, you know, something would happen, and somebody hears hear it, and they get a lot of requests. So you play a show, and right. people hear it, oh, I want to hear that again, and they call up the station. And yeah. It was a lot of that, too. You, if you could mobilize fans to call radio, that meant a lot. Totally. Um, as the bass player, is there, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure different people in the band would have different answers for this question, you know, vocalists and lead guitar, drums and stuff would probably have their own personal songs they look forward to, but as the bassist, is there a certain, uh, song that you look forward to the most every night by just basically what you get to do as, on the bass? Not really. No, I, I, I really don't look at it that way, you know, we, and we change our shows up a lot, we switch, we mm-hmm do a lot of different songs. We've got a lot of albums out and there's a lot of things we can choose from. So right. not really, you know, it's, it's, it's more interesting to play songs that you haven't played much or not at all. You know, that's right. it's always, that's always pressure to us, but no, there's nothing really I can think of. I know people ask me that a lot. I don't have a good answer for it, but I don't have anything like, Oh, I can't wait to play whatever. <laughs> right, right. Not really. Are there some that are there certain songs that the fans will like will crucify you if you don't play? Are there certain untouchables? You mean the audience? Yeah, the audience. Yeah. Well, again, it's like yes and no. <laughs> if if they're diehard fans and they know all that and they've heard, I want you to want me and surrender a million right. times. Right. Who needs to hear it again? Okay. Right. All right. All right. Already. We already know that. Play some deep tracks. It's right. like going to go see, you know. Led Zeppelin, I suppose. Yeah, a lot of people want to hear, right. you know, Stairway to Heaven. But honestly, they're probably you know, tired probably of it. <laughs> people have heard it enough. Yeah. But on the other hand, if you don't play it, some people will be upset. Yeah. And other people will be overjoyed. Like, okay, <laughs> I don't need to hear. You know, maybe I don't. Yeah. As much as I love the Beatles or Paul McCartney, you know, right. maybe I don't want to hear Hey Jude again. You right. know, or Yesterday or something. I don't necessarily. I'd rather hear "Hey Bulldog" or something, you know. So it's just up to right. the person. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a great—it's a great problem to have. <laughs> uh, yes, it is. Oh man, do you? Um... And you know, the, the hardest thing was when we first started. You have one record out, or even two, but one, especially when you have your first album out. You go out and do shows. You're normally just opening for someone else. You don't have a whole lot of time. You don't right. have to be up there two hours or anything. But even so. 45 minutes is longer than your, you know, your entire show is probably longer than your entire album. You're filling time and, at back then. <laughs> well, well, yeah, and it's also not necessarily set up like a show, you know, an album. It's not, right. there's not necessarily a, an opening song and then a middle and then a, a right. grand finale. It's not like that, mm-hmm. you know. So you've got like, what the heck do we do? It's really hard. You've got to... Yeah either do songs that you're about to record or different, maybe different cover songs. And that's sometimes, you know, we went to Japan, we were headlining, but we didn't have that many albums out. So, you know, you've got to play for two hours and you've got two albums with 45 minutes worth of material. Like, okay. <laughs> so then we would just throw in songs that we did in clubs and stuff. That's how Ain't That a Shame, the Fast Domino song. Yeah, great recorded. song. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. We would do like, okay, let's pick something that we did in nightclubs that went over well. And, gotcha. Or let's do some completely obscure track that's not on an album. But that's where the song Hello There came from. We did that song because we like, okay, we need an intro song. You know, we need something where one guy starts, so it's kind of like a glorified sound check because you're opening act. You don't get sound checks normally. You can't right. expect that. So what do you do? Okay, you come out there and da 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 da. Okay, okay, got it. Then the drums come in. Okay, then you got the drums and the vocals come.
come in. Yeah. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. You know, and I come in. Okay, I come in last. It's really like a glorified sound check, and it's an <laughs> intro. So that song was written specifically to start a show because we didn't have anything. Yeah. And if you don't have hits or on, you know, people don't know anything about you, like, what the heck is this? You know? <laughs> so that's, that's really kind of a weird thing. Like, what the heck do we do? We, we don't have enough material. <laughs> we yeah. did it all. Totally. Um, we ran out of songs. We have to do the first one again. <laughs> we'll start no, we, all we over again. That. We didn't do that. But. Yeah, exactly. Um, tell me, tell me a little bit about your bandmates. Um, you know, maybe something, something not everybody knows about. I guess let's start with Robin, Robin Zander. No, well, I suppose they don't know a lot. What uh, what makes him what makes him great, and how is he behind the scenes? Well, he he's just a naturally great singer. He's got a he's got great range he's got a cool tone he's got a great sound in his voice and it's just naturally strong he um you know we through the years we've never just stopped and taken like long breaks or taken a year or two off nothing like that you know probably the most time we've ever taken off is a few weeks that kind of thing and so we're kind of on and off the road all the time and that for vocalists that helps once you stop and try to start up again, I suppose it's like uh, exercising. Yeah, you might be in great shape and you're young and you do this, but then if you, oh, I'm going to take a couple of years off and then now I'm going to start exercising again. Well, you start to lose it. And we've just never really done that. So I think it's just it's a combination of things. It's, it's a natural ability, and he really doesn't stop working. Yeah. How about, uh, how about Rick on, on lead guitar? What, what makes him so special? He's just—he is very creative. He's got his own distinctive style. He's a great writer, and you know, it's, I don't know. He just—he, um, I think he does things that are unexpected. So you never—it never goes really. It, you know, it, right. he always is going to a place that you don't expect that that's going to happen, and it, so it, it keeps it really interesting. How about Dax on the drums? Dax has been great for us. He—he's um, a powerful drummer he's got that feel he, he grew up listening to us you know he was born in 1980 so we've been around before he was born and he knew all of our songs and he just has he's a natural musician he's really his first instrument is piano so he plays piano he's, he's great he plays guitar he uh obviously drums and he's a, he's a singer and so he he learned he actually knows I would say he probably knows all of our entire catalog on wow. guitar, piano, and drums. Wow. So if we're going to do a song that we haven't done before or haven't done in many years, he'll know it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, how does that, oh, no, no, you do that, you do two verses there, and then you go, and then, you know, that's a half chorus, and they're like, oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> where are we? You know, so that has been great for that. But he's just a explosive, powerful drummer. I, I, I think it's, it's really, it's, Really exciting to work with him. I love it. That's awesome. And now the hardest one. How about yourself? What is? I'm going to make you answer it. What? Uh, what? What do you do so? What do you think you do so well? Well, I just have a. I, my style doesn't isn't like a normal bass player. It's really I'm gonna. I came up with the idea to, to for a twelve string bass, which I've used really since '77 on. It's a uh, you know three three E strings three A's three D's three G's mm-hmm. and it, the reason 
for that was to really get as big of a sound. We wanted the sound huge, but not have any extra players. Right. We uh, so I it kind of that kind of suited my style anyway. I used to use my only bass I had when I started was a Gibson Thunderbird. <laughs> and I would crank it through bass amps and guitar amps, and really just we'd, we'd put our amps up on stage. I'd have half of my rig on Rick's side and hit half of his on mine, and yeah. you know that kind of thing. So it just was a—it's like one big instrument coming at you, and uh, it's not the, the normal kind of style. It's almost like a very—the bass is like a big, huge rhythm guitar sort of. Sure. So you know it—it it works perfectly for what we do. It's not for everybody, but you know that's our thing, and now I'm stuck with it. So <laughs> I can't, I can't turn back. No, nope, just stay stuck with it. It's a great, again, great thing to have. Um, I'm sure you don't put a lot of stock in in certain things like this, but what goes through your mind when you see, um, you know, like VH1, say you're one of the top 25 hard rock artists of all time, or other lists grouping you as some of the best to ever do it? Do you have to pinch yourself and say, wow, like we've really put together a nice body of work here over the years and, and people are recognizing it amongst the all-time greats? Is it, is it just a wild feeling? Well, it it is, you know, but it's, it's funny, though. There's always uh, the other side of it where it's still... <laughs> It's, I kind of can, it'd be like this when we went to Japan. We, we, we became really big, really fast. So we were on all the, you know, magazine covers and all this stuff. And, right. You know, then all of a sudden you're, you know, oh, there's the reader's poll. You right. are, you're, you're the second, <laughs> you know, you were voted the second best bass player of the right. year in, in, in the music life poll. So, yeah, that must be fantastic. <laughs> like, yeah, that is nice, except that. The, the, who was the number one guy? Yeah, exactly. The guy from the Bay City Rollers. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, you got to so, take yeah, take it with a grain nice. of salt, but you know, it depends on who's in front of you. And you know, we we don't like everything we hear. Certainly not. You know, it's all it's always somebody like, oh yeah, you're number twenty five, and you see, well, who's number four? Yeah. Like, oh God, yeah, I yeah, exactly. You know? So it's always that kind of thing. It's yeah. like this kind of competition with other acts, you know. Yeah. So, no, it's, it's not, yeah, it's it's great. You know, we're just out there working, so it all just kind of, it happened pretty slowly with us. You know, we, we were we worked for years in clubs, and nothing happened, and we just kept going and going and going, and, and records come out, and they didn't do well, and we just kept kept at it. And, you know, we were working, you know, by the time we started recording, we, like, during our, our first year in 77, we were averaging 290 shows a year wow. and recording and releasing two albums a year wow. in our spare time. Yeah, wow. So in other words, you kind of can't think. You're just constantly in a yeah in a van or a bus or driving across. You're you're you, you know you're just you start to get pretty burned out. So you're not like oh wow is this isn't this great? Well yeah, yeah. yes, but on the other hand, I'm like oh my god, we're right. gonna get some sleep, you know too. So what are you guys that. at now in terms of your how many shows a year? Uh, we do, ball, I don't know, about, 100, about 120, something like that, 100, 120 shows. We're kind of back and forth. Right. We work May, the most steadily in the summer because there's, you know, proper tours going around. So like this year we did a whole, you know, a couple months with Peter Frampton. Right. You know, but we're in, we're in a good position because we can work on our own, you know, just alone. Go to and do a theater or good sized venues. You know, we're not, you know, filling stadiums or anything, but... Right. You know, but if we work with the Foo Fighters, okay, they can. We just we just played at Wrigley Field with them, and that's great. You know, there's whatever there are fifty thousand people there. That means we didn't draw fifty thousand, but yeah. but there we were. You know, with the Foo Fighters. So 
That's awesome. Um, you mentioned the Foo Fighters. Um, mm-hmm. is, are there any, if if you could like draw a historical line of influence from Cheap Trick to one or two current, you know, new artists that just came out more recently, who do you think you guys may have influenced? Well, it's funny. Even the people that say that we they were we were a big influence, <laughs> we we're always like, really? <laughs> you know, it's. And it, it would be, you know, Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain used to always talk about that. How they, you know, they were basically cheap tricks, wow. that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. it's like, wow, really? That's, you know, I, I love Nirvana. So it's a nice compliment. Or you know, Green Day had said that. You know, like, oh, we we love that my first album. That's how we wanted our record to sound. And like, wow, yeah, who knew? You know, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know that I would have automatically thought, well, you know. Sometimes I'll hear something that maybe people will say that's influenced by us. Like, oh, we got that idea from you. That's you know, we stole that idea from you, and we're like, oh, I thought it sounded like the Kinks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so whatever. You know, I don't know. So no, we don't. I don't like. Oh my God, they totally. If it's too close, then then it's kind of an. It's right. It's almost insulting. Like, well, wait a minute. Hey, right. that they stole that from us. Yeah, so there's, yeah. there's a fine line between being influenced and being ripped off at the, you know, right. on the other hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, flip it the other way. You mentioned the kinks. Flip it the other way around. Um, what do you, if you trace that historical line of influence back before you, who do you think you guys, what previous bands paved the way for Cheap Trick Sound to be able to, to come in when you did? Well, that's really easy because it's a long list because we <laughs> we grew up in the 60s. So mm-hmm. we, we were teenagers in 64 when the Beatles came to the you know U.S. first, that's the start of the British invasion. Yeah. So it was you know the Kinks, the Rolling Stones. Well, the Beatles obviously. The Beatles kind of were in their own world. Mm-hmm. They were you know yeah. hard to compare to anybody else. Yeah. But it was you know the Rolling Stones, the Kinks, the Who, and then it was you know the Yardbirds, and then it was you know the the Animals, and um, God you know, and then Hendrix came out, and it's just one thing after another. You know, then it, you know it's just unbelievable. And, you know, and then, then, you know, glam rock came in, you know, David Bowie, and there mm-hmm. was, you know, T-Rex and Gary Glitter and Slade, and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just went on and on and just kept going. You know, well, like Zeppelin came in, they, they always, I always look at them like a newer act, you know, the, the early right. British invasion was Beatles and Stones right. and that crowd, and then a little newer would have been Hendrix, and then, you know, and the, you know, the Jeff Beck group, and then... Then Zeppelin, and then you know, I don't know, you know that kind of a thing. Yeah. It, so it's, it's like asking you to name your favorite kids. Small faces <laughs> were a big influence, you know. And it, it, it's a little different for you know each one of us, yeah. but it's basically those type of groups. You know, the Bee Gees. We, I love the Bee Gees, all that early stuff. I even like the. I wasn't a big disco person or anything right. like that, but I loved the Bee Gees, and and people didn't really, you know, now they like, wow, they had stuff before Saturday Night Fever. Like, oh man, right. Stuff was great, you know. It rivaled the Beatles' songwriting, and it, it was just fantastic. Yeah, what was it? So about- they were, you know, Electric Light Orchestra, The Move, Sensational Alex Harvey Band, all these different groups, you know. And it's just a, we're kind of a combination of all that stuff. Like, oh, that's a cool thing, or that really is, you know. So there were so many things that, you know, like I said, we we would come out with two albums a year. Well, so did everybody else. So it just. The Beatles, the Stones, you name it. It was just one thing after another. And it just was totally natural to us. Yeah, it's really cool how one thing just kind of flows into the next, and then all of a sudden you have Cheap Trick, and then that keeps flowing and mutating, and and then all of a sudden bands like Green Day and Nirvana are crediting you guys as influencing that. It's just I love how I love how um, one flows into the next. It's it's just yeah, it, it is. 
it is interesting, and you you, you don't really necessarily hear the you know right. the straight out influence, right. or even if people do say it, it's like it, it's like that that can't be that right. that really sounds like us. Right. Or we would do something and we go, oh, man, I don't know. If we did that, that riff, that's too close to a right. Fleetwood Mac riff. You know, we <laughs> there's another group, Fleetwood Mac, with yeah. Peter Green and Danny Kerwin. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a great group. And, and you know, we did one song where it was they had this riff that was similar to something. And it's like, oh, we'll never get away with this. That's like, too similar. <laughs> to this day, we've never heard a word about it. Like, And now when I hear it, I go, yeah, that really isn't like that. So... <laughs> Awesome. There you go. That's awesome. Well, um, I mean, anything else before we go? What's the final, uh, let's say, if our listeners are hearing this, what's the final pitch to get them to come out to see you guys? Let's say they've seen you guys a million times or have never seen you at all. What's what's the sell to get them to come out? Well, you know, we, we just do what we do, and, you know, um, I, I don't really know. I mean, we, like I said before, we change our show up a lot. So there's mm-hmm. all sorts of different deep tracks. Mm-hmm. And we do, you know, the songs people would know, too. You know, I Want You to Want Me, The Flame, Dream Police. We do all that kind of stuff is in there. Sure. But uh, it's, it's, you don't really know what's going to happen. So That's good. It's, you know, it's spontaneous. We don't know the set list ahead of time. We get there, like, oh, we should do this and this and add this. Or if we, we can't, re- you know, we certainly don't remember every song off the top of our heads. That's, that's an understatement. But we'll, uh, so if we get, you know, if we're doing a sound check, we're playing someplace by ourselves, if we can do that, we'll go in. We'll, a lot of times we'll be there an hour, hour and a half ahead of time working on songs and, you know, relearning tracks that, oh, this will really get them, you know, this will get the <laughs> diehards, yeah. they won't be able to believe it. You know, it's fun. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. But that's good. It's because then you don't know what to expect when you go to the show. That's always good. Um, yes, and, and, and I, I, I want to bring up, too, I've got this side project called Rock Your Speech, sure. which I'd love to mention. Would that be cool? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's rock. You can check it out at rockyourspeech.com, and it's a rock music program for autistic kids. Our son is eight years old, and he's autistic, and it's a way for people for speech therapy, mm-hmm. but with rock music, to help kids learn how to speak that have speech problems. So. Awesome. You can check out Rock Your Speech. It's all there on that website, and uh, I'd love for you to go check it out. How do, how does that first? Uh, I guess first of all, how did you get into that? And B, how how does that actually even work? How does how does the music help them with speech? Well, the, what it is is we found with our son Liam that he music he he always responded to music, and I really I think most people do. Mm-hmm. You know, they you know, and uh, yeah. he but he couldn't. Repetition is really huge to learn how to speak. You have to have things repeated over and over, like one word. How do you form that word? How do you say the word blue? You just say blue, okay. If, you know, most people just kind of get it. But he's got to go, okay, got it, blue. That's how you do it. Right. He's got to see. So we've done songs that are simple lyrically, don't have a lot of lyric content, but are words that you can relate to and that you know it's not childish themes but it's just things that are simple so it's not a lot of not a lot of lyrics and it's simple themes and you know simple phrases that you can relate to like oh and it he loves it we've got we started with a thing called what's your name and at that point he was five years old and he didn't really speak at all just a word here and there and pointed to things and we did this song what's your name for him we just, just for fun yeah 
And that's all it is. The lyrics are, what's your name? What's your name? And then, hello, 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 hello. <laughs> and that's really all the lyrics in the song. Nice. And he loved it. Oh, what's your name? He, Liam, he answered. <laughs> and we were in the studio with him. And he's like, oh, he was just, he had to hear it over and over. And the next day, we went out with him, and he started asking everybody he saw what their name was. Wow. He'd never done that. We looked at each other like, oh, man. We're on the So we yeah. just kept going, and it's, you know, Phrases like that, that's, like I said, that aren't, it's not a childish, it's not like you're talking about, you know, pooping in your pants and that kind of thing. Right. So it's just phrases you can use and things that you can relate to. And, you know, we, we want to, we're making a video for each song. So you see the singer singing the song kind of up close and like, oh, that's how you say that. And they have the lyrics go by in real time, you know, with lyric videos, like kind of like karaoke. Yeah. You've got the lyrics printed under there, and you've got the person singing the song, and you can see him sing it, and like, okay. And it's really, what it is, is a good way for parents to help their kids do speech therapy when when a therapist isn't around, or you don't have the time, or you don't, you know, it's like, you can, you know, kids will put, pull something up on an iPad and watch a video, you know, a thousand times in a row. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's a good way to practice speech. And we found, you know... You know, our kids love rock music. Again, back to, you know, so it's it's fun to do because, you know, oh, I'm going to do this, I got this riff, this really cool thing. So it's, it's fun for us to do musically, and then it's just not overly complicated either. That's awesome. How do, they, how do we find out about it again? What's the website? Uh, it's called Rock Your Speech, mm -hmm. and you can go to rockyourspeech.com. That's so awesome. Man, uh... You've really come a long way from hearing that first song being played on the, at a strip club, and now yeah, you're a, well, now you're know, a softy helping the kids. I love it. I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, but there you go. You know. No, I, that's awesome. That and it's such, such a great idea. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it really, it was my wife's idea, and it's really and I love recording anyway, and that's what we do. And it's you know, and you know, all the children's stuff you hear is mainly you know Barney or whatever they say, you know, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, and all this stuff. It's like okay. That's all well and good, but yeah. gee, you know, let's hear something that sounds like, you know, I want to hear something that sounds like I'm the walrus, not <laughs> right. the little star. So exactly, we can do that, and it's, you know, it's it's fun. It's really, you, you make something artistic and make something that, like, I'd like to hear this, but on the other hand, it's not, you know, like a Rolling Stone. It doesn't go on and on. He's like, what the <laughs> heck? It's hard to follow. Right. But if it's simple to follow... You know, that's what the Japanese fans used to tell us things kind of similar to that when we first started. Yeah. They said, oh, we loved your music because it was easy to learn English that way because the lyrics were easy to figure out. Mm -hmm. But this is, a, you know, even a simpler version of that. Right. No, but similar concept. It's similar. Yeah, it is. You know, it's like, yeah, it's not complicated. And you don't, we always found that with Liam or a lot of autistic kids or people with speech problems, they just don't. They'll either latch on to the very first word in a sentence or the very last thing and just skip. The, the other stuff kind of goes over their head, and they know when, the, you know, you're so, you know, whatever it is. You know. right. One of his first songs he loved was the song called Blue Eyes, Elton John. Oh, and yeah. he would get blue eyes. He always knew where the word eyes. Then he finally <laughs> figured out how to get blue eyes together, and then he kind of <laughs> gradually got the whole thing. But it, it, we're like, wow, he... but. If it was simpler, he'd really pick up on it, and he just loved that because, yeah, music—it's a way you can in, you can be included in something, and you don't have to be the star athlete or the right. you know 
that, that you know you don't have to be the, the quarterback of the team to, to fit in or be able to play. You know, you know, music is a thing that people feel included in. You know, you can at least clap your hands probably or whatever, bob your head, or right. maybe you can play piano or guitar or sing or what. You know, there's all sorts of different elements to it. Play bongos along with it, but at least it's something you can be included in and enjoy it. And that's a big thing because. You know, especially autistic kids, they are excluded because they don't exactly fit in, and the social skills are probably not great. And you know, their peers, they don't get it. They're kids too, and it's like, well, they can't understand somebody when they speak, and they just kind of go some other direction. Yeah. So they're, you know, they're not the first ones picked for anything usually. You know how that would be. For sure. And uh, music is just something that is very inclusive, and it. People just kind of naturally like it, and I do rock and roll music. That's what I do anyway, so it's just a natural progression. It's not even work. <laughs> no, it, it really isn't. I mean, we put a lot of thought into it. It's working that way, but right. that's, that's anything. But yeah. the end result, it's like something where you, can, you get done with a song and like, yeah, it's a, it's a simple thing, simple theme, kind of meant for kids, really. Mm-hmm. But you can put... I can play for anybody, and they go, oh, wow, that's a cool riff, or wow, what's that piano part? What's, wow, that's a great chord change there. Nice. What is that? So you can make it as interesting as you want on other levels, but on the other hand, it's dead simple. Then when you see the the uh, the website has all sorts of, we've got a pledge music campaign going now, we're like, what's happening is, once we kind of put this out there, we wanted, we put it, we're putting it out there, and seeing what kind of comes back to us. And immediately, music therapists start contacting us like, oh my God, this is the greatest idea, music therapy, because insurance companies and people don't realize, you know, like, well, does it, does it really work? You, yeah. know, you know, it's okay, well, yes. All the music therapists know that music helps with people, you know, being able to walk or whatever, respond to things. You'll put people in nursing homes or stroke victims. There's, you know, just, just endless reasons why people have speech problems. Not certainly not just autism, but that's that's the world we're in because of our son. Right. But the uh, music therapists, so it's now going towards, you know, like really getting into like, oh, we'd love to have this, this music program. We'd love this music because we've got a whole record. We've got fourteen songs finished, mastered and mixed. And now we want to get a video for each one. We've got, when you see the website, you'll see the one song out there. It gives you the, the idea of what it is. Like, okay, this is my one. But it's all important to have a video, really, for each song that you can have as an app on your iPad. And, okay, I love that one thing, or I love to hear that. That's about that's a lullaby to go to sleep to. Hmm. Let's hear that one a thousand times in a row. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> you know, right. You maybe don't like everything on there, but it's all generally, you know, the songs are all different, but it's that idea. And the music therapists, you know, they go in there, what are they going to do? You know, they sit there with an acoustic guitar and they're trying to get somebody to, you know, relearn how to speak. We've, we just, uh, um, we had Megan Morrow, who's like the, the big, the, uh, like the top music therapist. She's like the rock star of music therapy. And she rehabilitated Gabby Giffords, you know, the congressman oh, yeah, in Arizona yeah. and taught yeah. her how to sing. And, the, you know, and so she contacted us. And she's all over it. And we're doing a big speech conference with her. And so now the music therapists are coming to us like, this is so great. So we're just kind of seeing how, how we can expand upon all this and where, what direction we go in. But it's very exciting. 
and um, we'll just see what happens. Yeah, I know. I I know there's even some college programs that you can go and and study that as your major at certain colleges. I think they have music therapy in some yeah. programs. Yeah, but you know, but there's all you know, there's all sorts of different elements to it mm-hmm. too because. You know, so many artists, you know, autism, is, it's kind of a strange thing. It's, you know, a lot of artists, I think, have that tendency to be, you know, maybe not socially that great, or you have, you know, everybody kind of, you, you'll see, you know, like, oh, I don't understand how to do this. I don't understand how to, right. you know, maybe, you know, people are dyslexic, or they, they math is impossible to figure out, or something like, why don't I get it, you know? And uh, I think people, you know, yeah, we're trying to do something that people can relate to, but we're getting all sorts of people coming coming to us now in that the speech therapy field, the music therapy especially. Yeah, and they all know that music therapy works, and it's really it's this is a way to bring awareness to it. And luckily, I have the ability to get to you know be able to do interviews and things where most people don't. So I can bring awareness because I can get out there and, you know, obviously talk about cheap trick and talk to you and then, oh, and by the way, I've got this thing going on. You know, it's it's so amazing. Almost everybody I talk to has some connection to autism. Either they've got a child or a nephew or their next-door neighbor. Almost every person has some connection. Wow. It's unbelievable. It's a great, it's a fantastic idea. Um well, thanks for coming on and talking about that. Anything you need to know about the Rocker speech stuff, you can get back to me or you know, you know how to get a hold of me. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I well, think. Uh, yeah. Once you awesome. see that, you know, you can follow us on you know on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. It's, there's, we, you know, my wife Allison's put a lot of she's you know put a lot of energy into it. Really, it's her idea, so she's really running this whole thing. And mm-hmm. it's it, it's it's gotten to the point where like, wow, there's so many things coming at it. It's hard to even organize it. Like, oh my man, what do you do first? <laughs> Once again, a great problem to have. <laughs> yes, it, it honestly is. All right, that's that's fantastic. Um, well, hey, Tom, thanks so much. This was awesome. My pleasure. All right. Hey, I'll speak to you soon. Stay in touch. All right, go cheap trick. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.